Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Sweat Equity Podcast, where we record every Tuesday. Is that good, Gus? <laughs> okay. This is a podcast where we will make fun of people for capping, but yeah. <laughs> honestly, we might cap as well. Dope. Okay, awesome. Another episode of the Sweat Equity Podcast, where if this is your first time listening, because the audience has grown since we started the podcast this is essentially like the most creative brainstorming session that you've been a, uh, been a part of, whether it's marketing, just building a startup, um, any of those things. The whole goal is for you to feel like you're in the room on the whiteboard with us yeah. and kind of putting those ideas on paper. Anything yeah. to add? You know, something we said from the beginning is you can listen to a bunch of millionaires, a bunch of guys that yeah. did something that worked. Um, or you can listen to the guys who are still on the hunt. And that's kind of us, right? We're yeah. both building our own businesses actively every day, trying to learn as much as we can. So... This podcast is kind of a way for us to use as an outlet to articulate those things, share anything, any wins that we found. And I mean, definitely, you know, we're, we're going to share the L's as well. So hopefully someone can, 100%. Uh, can avoid that. But, you know, it's kind of like a manifestation of, of our, our texts, like our, our, the group texts that you want to be in with all your other kind of entrepreneur founder homies who where they're sharing that information you don't see on Twitter. Yeah. So pretty sick. The, the Cardinal Shabu guys, they sent us this over. So mm -hmm. he actually sent it roughly a month ago and you weren't here, but cause you were late, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, somebody just came into the, into the warehouses and was like, Hey, like is Alex Garcia here? And I was like, yeah. He's like, Oh, like this, this came to us. Like we used to be in this, in this space. Uh -huh. Um, and it was Shabu and it was Shabu mm -hmm. and you tried it. I tried it. Everybody tried it. Yeah. Diesel. Crazy. Like right. we were big fans of carnivore snacks. Right. I would never buy carnivore snacks again. And I'm sorry if they are listening to the pod because I know they're, they're uh, friends. If, of like, if Mark is listening to this pod, then shout out Mark because uh, he is the goat. But um, that means we made it because that dude's big time. Yeah. So if we're in his listening diet, then, you know, I'm fine with him catching a little flack here. Yeah. But these are phenomenal. So when these do drop and according to him, they are going to drop in 2024. Definitely give them a try, uh, especially if you like beef jerky, but you want an alternative to kind of dried dried meat snack uh, with a lot of flavor. This lemon pepper goes crazy. Yeah, no, the the, the texture of it was wild. Melted in my mouth. Um, shout out to Shabu. Pause. Absolute. Yeah, not sponsored at all. No, just, no, straight just up. Friend, literally friends of the pod. Not sponsored, but we might ask him for a substantial part of the company very <laughs> yeah. soon. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, Shabu. Just yeah. kidding. But yeah, dude, let's get into it. I love the topics that we got today. You know, I think first off, like we want to talk about the death of legacy media. Yep. And everyone's so sort of subtly aware of this happening around them. But we want to talk about how to make this actionable as a marketer. Like yeah. what are the different channels that are going to explode in response to legacy media dying? What do we mean by legacy media? I'm talking about the New York Times, The Guardian, uh, Huffington Post, Fox News, Washington MSN, Post, all that shit. All that stuff. You know, they're seeing pretty substantial year over year drops in traffic. So this isn't some sort of subjective thing, right? Like they're, yeah. a lot of these websites' traffic is down 25% year over yep. year. And they're still going to charge you the same rate for a sponsored post to be in Wirecutter or to be in, you know, whatever their best jackets of 2024 is. Um, not taking any shots, GQ. Uh, but like, what where do you go when pay to play affiliate is kind of leaving? And you know we're obviously both super bullish on social media advertising and like how that can play a role. So excited to dive into that one. 
Um, and then also, dude, this peacock thing. Yeah. I mean, that was wild, right? Forcing everyone to uh, forcing everyone to download the peacock app to watch an NFL playoff game. By far the best meme was uh, there was some shit poster. I think maybe it was like Alex Cohen or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's here in Austin too. Yeah. And uh, he was like, my uncle uh, to me after I show him how to download Peacock for the first time and then it's the Tiger Woods big dog meme. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was just like, like the whole, like I had to show my dad how to download yeah. Peacock so we could watch this NFL game. Like pretty, pretty awesome moment for Peacock, but we're going to dive into the numbers of like, okay, what happened here? They had a surge to number one in the app store and how are they going to keep that momentum yeah. and actually become a streaming service that people you know want to pay attention to? Uh, on the other end, we're, we are going to cover, because we were supposed to cover this in the last episode. We didn't get to it, uh, but we're going to talk about Keep It Classic Vintage. Mm. They're a kind of like vintage shop here in Austin. He has his own warehouse um, and we're going to kind of break down. I'm guessing he's doing roughly like six figures in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um how does he get to seven figures in revenue? Like that's yeah. that's what I think we're going to give him the the roadmap there. How he can become a a dominant player in that game. So if yeah, kick it off with the the death of legacy media. What you got? So the New York Times traffic this year year over year is down eighteen percent. Yep. And why is that? Because generally, you know, people are looking more and more to non centralized sources for their information. And this is something that we've seen play out in society and politics, you know, especially with the rise of social media. This isn't anything new information wise to people, but what it should be is a signal to marketers that something is coming, right? And PR has long been something that people use to establish social proof. Go to any D2C website and you'll see as seen on. And then you'll see the five different places where they paid to be featured. Spoiler alert, a lot of those features were paid, right? GQ, uh, you know, Men's Health, like Fortune, Forbes. We don't even want to get into who's paying to be in Forbes 30 under 30. Like these things are all bought and paid for. for sure. And it's something that I don't think the average person really understands that that is not, you know, GQ just going out of their way to be like, oh, I found something really cool. They actually have a sales team reaching out to emerging brands and saying, would you like to be featured in yeah. this piece? We think you have a lot of potential. You respond and you're so interested. You're like, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. I'd love to have that GQ logo on my website. They're like, that'll be $4,500. And yeah. you're like, okay, is that logo worth it? Maybe. And for a long time, it was. I think, bold prediction, this decrease in traffic is a signal that those logos are going to mean significantly less over the course of the next 10 years on your website as a means of social proof, as more people kind of wisen up to them not being authentic resources. I think those logos will get replaced with UGC. Right. Right. By big creators or big names or big people in the space that are using your product. So like, you know, when I'm thinking of the death of legacy media, I'm thinking, well, part of the, the switch now is speed. And what I mean by that is you can create a TikTok, you can create a Twitter thread, you could create a piece of content on YouTube faster, publish it faster and get it out to the masses faster than Washington Post can. Absolutely. Right. And it could and it could gain more steam there than it getting published on a regular side and then having to to gain traction that way. Right. Like a tweet today's day and age could build up more buzz than something on Good Morning America. No and doubt. that's like the nature of today's landscape. Um, and the reason is like everyone's a publisher. You can be a journalist today. Right. right? Gus could be one tomorrow. Vanessa could, could be control one. Control that narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And they and and because of that, like the best, the the biggest winners in this are going to be either A, the content creators or the best content distributors. 
Absolutely. right? Like who are the people putting out the best content that the most or most of the people trust? And then who's really good at distributing content? Yeah. If there's Washington Post who just puts out an article, but player B puts out a TikTok, a, t- a Twitter thread, an Instagram video, a YouTube short, an article, a YouTube video, and they all do that in like a span of five hours versus this, you know, Washington Post, this legacy media doing doing mm-hmm. it one way. Um, then I think that opens up a, a, a huge uh, opportunity for the, you know, the, the new age publisher. The other thing I'm thinking about is I think Mr. Beast is going to be bigger than the New York Times in the next five years. No doubt. Yeah. And the way I think about Already it, probably it. I mean, yeah. by any metric, he's, you know, an order of magnitude bigger from an attention perspective. So the New York Times, like you were saying, they were talking about their traffic. The New York Times site gets 219 uh, million visits a month. Yeah. Mr. Beast has 232 million subscribers on YouTube. Disgusting. His last three videos over the course of roughly three weeks has gotten almost 300 million uh, views already. And then when, when I think about like the loyalty of those subscribers, if the New York Times put on an event tomorrow, I don't think they could get a thousand people to show up. No. <laughs> could, you know I what I'm saying? I totally like, agree. Yeah. But then when Mr. Beast dropped Beast Burgers, he would, he, he would stop the streets. Yes. Like you would have to have a police escort. Well, I'm, I'm sure you saw the video that like Colin and Samir dropped of it was like 24 hours with Mr. Beast. Yeah. And when they released Beast Burgers and he like is at the mall and there and there's just lines and lines of people at the mall trying to uh, get Beast Burgers for the first time. And then it shows like this kind of wide angle view of Mr. Beast like looking down on everybody. And dude, there's 20,000 people waiting in line to try hamburgers. Yeah. Because it's associated with Mr. Beast. Right. And so my whole thing here is like the new age media, right, is going to be either A, like these creators that they start their own media empires and not that Mr. Beast has to be the face of all of it, but that he's the face of the media company. And then the media company then has other people that then become the face of it. And that'll be the new age media company because those people are also getting raised on Mr. Beast right now, right? Like the yeah. people that are going to consume that content down the road. Right. Um, so I do think that's going to that's gonna change because the relationship is so different. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're allocating dollars, right, there's never been a better time to invest in your own content. Oh, yeah. 100%. And becoming good. Because, dude, on TikTok, someone could have 500,000 followers and someone could have 2,000 followers. The way that the TikTok platform works is it's going to show it to an initial cohort of 300 people, no matter what your following is. And that will determine if it gets amplified to the For You page, how that first 300 people interacts with it. It doesn't matter if you're a big name publication. It doesn't matter if you're a small creator. If the response from those first 300 people is good, then your video will do better. Yeah. As it turns out, most people with big followings are really good at making better videos. Yeah. And so there's the correlation. There's a reason there. they have followers. Right. And and so that's why you'll see a higher baseline for a lot of those people. But you'll also see creators that blew up when TikTok was a little more easy to go viral. And a lot of their engagement in the last, you know, year and some change, because they haven't adapted to the platform. Yeah. Is not good. I think what's gonna be really interesting is so you see Amazon doing this, right? They have a shoppable feed. Yeah. Flip obviously came out this year. TikTok shops is trying to displace all of it. There's Timu. There's all these different Fuck sort Timu. of yeah, no one likes Timu. Um, but uh, but there's all these kind of emerging sort of uh UGC to commerce marketplaces. And it's you know, word of mouth is nothing new. It's just nothing new, right? Uh, there's been ML like multi-level marketing, like Herbalife type stuff, and you know, some soccer moms selling 
collagen peptides to all of her friends and then they sell it to all of their friends. Like, you know, those schemes have existed for a long time. But and that that was kind of what people associated with affiliate marketing. The other way to have, run affiliate marketing is to run it through these big publications. Yeah. So people probably don't know this, but there's a lot of different like agencies that work with bigger networks that represent all of these different publications. And so you actually do the deal. The agency has a preferred relationship with the network and that's how you get a deal done. You spread your you know, article across like maybe five to seven websites. Like Mashable was one of these back in the day. Like BuzzFeed obviously has this as well, where basically you can pay to get their uh, domain authority associated with your brand yeah. and obviously the traffic that comes with it. I think that model is not dead, but could be displaced by affiliate marketing from peer to peer, which is what TikTok has done with their affiliate marketplace. And if you're you know, somebody that just likes a product, you can create a very authentic review about it. Attach, they might have an open campaign on TikTok shop and you can attach your commission to that, make money and have it as a showcase product on your video. And I think that's the new way that this is going to go because people are going to only continue to wisen up about it. Once there's more spheres of influence that are telling these, you know, moms or whoever it is, right? It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a mom, but like they're telling them, hey, this is where you can make money from just talking about the products that you already like. Maybe the brand will actually sell you more stuff. And people trust people now. They don't trust institutions as much as they used to because they've just, you know, seen that a lot of these things are bought and paid for. Um, so that would be definitely where I think, you know, if you're going to invest in something like affiliate marketing, which is an amazing channel for any brand, if you can crack affiliate marketing, it is a flywheel that will take you to the moon. Invest in understanding like how to brief creators, like how do you brief your customers? So any brand, like I, I work with a lot of brands that are crushing on meta and don't really understand how to do TikTok. And they all know they're winning ad angles right? They know their highest converting messaging. When you're saying on, angles, you're referring to the ad angle, right? Right. Like the, so how they so, angle the value proposition. Yeah. Like not to, you know, to use a, a contemporary example. So Hexclad, the pants company, we've talked about them before. <laughs> yeah. Like I know one of their winning angles is talking about it being a hybrid piece of cookware, which means that they have stainless steel and nonstick. And there's like a couple, there's that's messaging that resonates with their target demo. Yeah. So if you're briefing out customers and you're like, Hey, and there's a couple of tools like this. One of them is called Bounty by this guy, Abe, um, which does actually pay customers on a CPM basis, cost per thousand impressions for UGC. So it's a way to kind of interact and like automate that process. But, you know, say like you're Hexclad, you want to be able to brief your customers on how to make a good video. Yeah. Like you want to be able to give them the same brief you would give an influencer, right? Hold the product this way, show it doing this, put it in this setting, make sure to talk about these three points. Every brand should be thinking about how do I do that with my existing customers? Yeah, Because people see more ads than ever. People see more. Shark Tank is 20 seasons deep. It doesn't mean the same thing it did in 2011, right? No. Or being featured on CNBC. It still means a lot. It still carries a lot of weight. But if this stuff is down 20% year over year, let's just zoom out a little bit. Where's it going to be in five years? Yeah. Right? For sure. Versus... TikTok shop up a gazillion percent because it just launched. Flip. It's an experiment. Who knows? Amazon dedicating more resources to the shopability stuff. Like empowering the individual does seem where like a lot of content might be going. And brands should take advantage of that by incentivizing their customers to make these videos. So last crumb, 
is a is a company that does a phenomenal job at this. When you get a la a last crumb box, which for people that don't know, it's a hundred and forty dollar cookie dozen you know box of dozen cookies. Yeah. When you get a box, it comes with instructions on how to unbox it and have the best experience. And because of that, people film that unboxing experience and make a bunch of content because your best influencers are your customers. Yeah. It's actually not the person with the following unless 100%. they're a customer. Which has been democratized through these algorithms, right? Like that with Instagram, that was not the case because Instagram does prioritize followers. And I think what we're seeing is the shift away from pure, you know, okay, I have 100K followers, so I can expect to see 60,000 views on this to the quality of the content is really the only thing that matters. Yeah. The other brand that did a phenomenal job at this was Stanley Brand. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give it all away because I'm doing a big deep dive on it. But Stanley Brand, they, you know, first off, they've been around for 110 years. And for 110 years, they marketed towards men and like yeah. outdoor men and like people that were hiking and doing a bunch of shit outdoors. Like they weren't even targeted towards women. Right. Right. But then there was this group of women that had this blog or kind of like gifting. I don't want to say uh, gifting page, but like they had this blog called the Buy Guide. And on the buy guide, it was just about online shopping, the best things for women. And it was these three founders, right? And they were obsessed with Stanley Quenchers. Then they got news that Stanley Quenchers was possibly going to be discontinued because really, really wasn't hyped up like that. And so they had their fans because they had this big following go to Stanley and be like, yo, please do not discontinue this. Like, we love this product. And Stanley's like, okay, you know what? Buy, do a wholesale order. And if you can sell them out, like we'll think about just targeting now women. Like we'll see if this is a viable demographic. Yeah. So they buy 10,000 cups. The buy guy did. The buy guy. Holy shit. They buy 10,000. They're like, dude, we felt like we took out a mortgage. Wow. Yeah. They sold out of it in five days. That's insane. And because of that, it, they took off. And so Stanley flew them out to, I think it was like Colorado. And they had like the, a meeting and, and the buy guy people were basically like their marketing crew and was like, look, if you're not targeting the women that are 25 to 45, then you're missing out because this right. demographic is buying for their friends. They're buying for their family. They're buying for their kids. They're buying for their friends. Like they're buying for everybody. Um, and because of that, that was like the rise of this Stanley kind of Tumblr yeah, phase, right. qu quencher phase. And so since they've got a billion views on TikTok, but it was essentially that same model of they were running affiliate through oh, yeah. the buy guide, right, right? Right. A trusted source of information, essentially a smaller the hardcore company. demographic that yes. follows them. Yes. Yeah. It's a hundred percent women. That's 25 to 45. Like that's, insane. and that was their meteoric rise from, I think it was like 2019. They went from 73 million in revenue yeah. to 750 million in revenue yeah. after 110 years of doing everything wrong. They finally did it right after a century. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it's so wild. <laughs> and it was and then, led by these moms. Like, what a phenomenal yeah, story. No, nah, moms, moms really can't take over the world. So the crazy part about Stanley is that the president right now, yeah. this Terrence Riley guy. The guy that he, did the TikTok video, right? Right. He was, the, he was the CMO at Crocs yeah. before this. So not only did he just transform Stanley into, you know, now probably the premier lifestyle brand for 100%. women. I mean, like the best status symbol you could possibly have. But Think about the rise that Crocs had in the 2020s yep. or in the 2010s. You know, they they went from this fringe thing like when we were kids. I mean, they were popular, but uh, I'm not gonna lie. The, the the people that wore Crocs at my school growing up, sorry, were rednecks, relentlessly bullied. Like, I, I, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. Like they they were just like people that went mudding and shit. Yeah, 100%. like at least in in South Florida, those were the people that kind of similar. You know what's fucking crazy is you know. If you think about like Stanley was more of a performance brand. This is something we've talked about on the pod before where, you know, you start as quality so good that someone 
trust you as an authority, right? That they they know that you're delivering for a very a group that needs it a lot. And Stanley is an example of that. They were making really high quality steel products. Crocs, you know, not necessarily like <laughs> the most, but to your point, I think they were a shoe that people were like, oh, I, I'm comfortable getting these dirty. Yeah. You know, I'm comfortable taking these when it's super muddy or I can take them anywhere. I can wear them in any scenario. Yeah. And turning them into quote unquote a fashion symbol, they did, you know, debut at the London Fashion Week in 2016. Like, that is an insane turnaround. I can't believe this dude has done it twice. Like yeah. he literally has the Midas touch. Yeah. He might be Crazy. the juiciest individual in America. <laughs> so to, to wrap this all up though, to, to give like some actionable stuff. So what do you do, right? Instead of going to the legacy, excuse me, instead of going to the legacy media companies, right? Let's say you're a startup and you raise money. Don't go to TechCrunch. Yeah. Go find those creators and, and the, the creator-led publications that are the equivalent of TechCrunch and get multiple of them and do a bunch of sponsored content. Let them break the news for you because guess what? TechCrunch is going to cover it when they are no longer getting the stories directly and they need stories. They're going to go take what the creators are talking about or what these individual publications and journalists are talking about and have to talk about it. It's, it's essentially even what happened with Stanley, right? These moms talked about it and now it's getting talked about by every publication because there is a story there. But yeah. you want to have that story started by the people that have built audiences that love and trust them right. versus publications that just have essentially uh, almost like legacy audiences attached to them. 110%. I was talking with a founder the other day who was trying to make this decision because they had an opportunity to be featured in Men's Health. And his question to me was, do you think anyone actually wakes up and takes the time to go to menshealth.com and then reads what they have to say. No, yeah. it's that when people are searching best grooming tools, Men's Health has such strong domain authority yep. that their list of top grooming tools is able to rank. 100%. If you believe that Google search is something that may not exist as prominently in the next few years with AI, I mean, a lot of people are, I don't think people are turning to chat GPT for these answers quite yet, but that was kind of something people were saying. If you think that Google search is going to gradually lose its monopoly on this type of information, you know, that's the only behavior that is resulting in traffic to men's health. It yeah. is not their diehard fans. No. Whereas by guide probably has a massive email list that people are extremely involved with and looking forward to reading what they have to say on whatever cadence they're putting it out. So uh, speaking of legacy media, <laughs> how about NBC? doing this thing the with peacock, peacock move man. yeah i mean just forcing forcing a behavior down your throat you gotta love enterprise companies yeah. just saying you know what fuck you we can't get you to pay us money we're gonna force you to pay yeah us money. yeah actually it's not your fucking choice yeah. do you like football yeah. cool let's go <laughs> um so for those unfamiliar peacock uh got the exclusive rights to saturday night playoff game in the nfl um and as a result they were able to drive you know, 23 million downloads, I believe. Uh, they rocketed to number one overall in the App Store. And some of the numbers there too, they paid $110 million for the exclusive rights. Money. It's a lot of money for one game, you would think. I mean, and you walk it out, if they had, you know, 20 million new subscribers to the platform, $6 a month, like, you know, they're break even on that first month. If they yeah. keep a, a lot of those people for a couple of months, then, you know, it's going to go well. Um, fascinating thing. I just looked up the app store rankings. Uh, so they've already lost number one. 
what are they it's at only now? been a week. They're three. They're number three in entertainment. What's uh, one? What's back at one and two? <laughs> Undisputed top dog. Netflix. TikTok. Oh, TikTok doesn't miss. They they man. ByteDance really has a stranglehold on this <laughs> on <country>. America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other crazy part about this Peacock thing was this was the first NFL game that was behind a paywall. Yeah. That's never happened in the past. And then. Depends uh, on how you want to classify that, though, because Amazon Prime has been doing this with Thursday fair. Night Football for the last two years. Sorry, NFL playoff game. Playoff, you're playoff right. Playoff game. Yeah, correct. That's been correct. behind a play, paywall. Yeah. yeah. Then there was a report that from Network PR that said that this, this event was the most live stream in U.S. history. Really? And that Saturday was the highest day ever for internet usage in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then for Peacock, though, what a game to select because yeah. here's Dolphins. everything about it, right? You got the Dolphins explosive audience, or sorry, you got the Dolphins explosive offense. You have Chiefs, which is Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, the reigning. I mean, right. you have the T-Swift. You have mafia. Taylor Swift yeah. in attendance. And it's also going to be one of the coldest games in NFL history. <laughs> yeah. Like what? And, and you have two of the most explosive offenses going against each other in the coldest day. And you're just like, again, like people from South Florida. Yeah. So like, did- is this going to be a good game? Are they going to be able to throw the ball? Are they going to be like, there's so much. And there was a lot of hype behind in the game. Like did you see I wanted the, uh, to watch it. Did you see the the pick of uh, T Swift behind the cold window? No. It was she had to like rub off a window to like see into the game because it's literally like negative yeah. five. And someone said it was like that leftover spinach looking at you through the fr- through the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Just being like, why didn't you ever eat me? Uh, but dude, I mean, so insane, right? And and if you look at their Google trends, their search results, um, you know, they spiked. I mean. Google Trends rates something's relevance on a one out of 100 scale. For the last five years, Peacock has been anywhere from a one to an eight. Never really spiked more than, you know, the highest they had before was 19. They've been at 100 for the last week. So whether or not we wanted it, Peacock is now at least on your Roku. You know what I'm saying? Like you at least downloaded it and have, you might not have an account, but they probably drove an insane amount of app downloads. I th- I already had, the thing with me is I already had Peacock. I think Peacock was one of the only platforms that had Harry Potter on it. Okay. So I already had all, I already no, had that's, that bitch that, downloaded. That's cool, bro. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> had to let y'all know. That's what's up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to walk off. No, um, dude, the other thing is, so they parlayed this. What I thought was also brilliant is... Oh, timing is great, right? January, it's cold outside. People are watching more TV. So what should they do as well is add some blockbuster titles to the platform as soon as you get all these new subscribers. Oh, by the way, game just ended. Don't cancel yet because we just added Oppenheimer. And so they just added Oppenheimer to the platform. Got exclusive rights there. Um, Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, I think in a few months we'll have plenty of uh, plenty of you know hot takes about what this is going to look like. I could and to, I mean Peacock is going to try and get more live sports. NBC yeah. Sports is massive. Yeah. You know they they are the dominant player in U.S. soccer streaming. Uh, they obviously have their football properties. They have the University of Notre Dame football contract, which I think they might have actually just come off of. But you know they've always been a very prominent sports broadcaster and is this going to be something that they continue i mean now that they just saw the success of it so i think people better get ready for more paywall sports yeah i do and and my thought process automatically when you know we talked about this was okay so how do you actually keep these these people so the first thing to understand is the demographic and the and the people that signed up is probably primarily men yeah right it's most likely men that want to watch sports so how do you get those guys to just stick around and like what's on the platform so 
one of the first things I thought about, and this was kind of one of the more obvious things, was HBO has Hard Knocks. Yeah. Peacock needs to have its own version of Hard Knocks. Yeah. Like that, whether they're falling around the Chiefs for the rest of the season or right. for the next season or the playoffs even, yeah. or the Dolphins, or they pick a, a different team, right? And Amazon yeah. did this too. Like they did, I think, in season with the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, and they're doing it with with Deion Sanders as well. So how do you keep some around, release some specific show that's tailored towards the people that originally downloaded the content? The next thing is most likely if you downloaded Peacock and you downloaded it for the game, you're not really going to browse Peacock. Yeah. So your job as for Peacock's marketing team is how do I get them aware of if they're not going to be in the app, how do I get them aware of everything that we offer? You know, some of the obvious ones are like the push notifications and all that kind of shit. Um, but if I if I did this, I would have a huge rollout with the top sports uh, kind of podcasters, names of the game. And I'm I'm leveraging them to like hey, my 30-second slot where you're pushing Peacock is, hey, these are the things I'm watching on Peacock. Like, these are my favorite sports shows, sports documentaries that I'm watching on Peacock. Yeah. And I'm and I'm doing this for the next 30, 60 days that like, anytime I listen to anything sports-related, Peacock is in my ear somehow and I'm hearing what is getting offered on that show so that I now go watch the Deion Sanders documentary. I go watch the Ray crazy, Lewis, whatever like Crazy idea, is. bro. And... Something we've talked about on the pod before is like the HubSpot podcast network yeah. where HubSpot is rolling up a bunch of different business creators Peacock in order the to then, yeah. you know, like like why would Peacock not buy Wave Sports and Entertainment, yeah. which runs the New Heights show with the Kelsey Bros, which 100%. runs Podcast P, which has been exploding. Like why not snatch up Jeff Teague's podcast, which has been going viral left and right. And now you have this insane flywheel of, you know, we're now the one-stop shop for behind the scenes content exclusive stories and by the way games on saturday yeah so tune in pat you know? mcafee wants to leave espn where should he go right and oh and he should have also, his own shit on on peacock but like all these guys are on youtube yeah right and it's like youtube cpms or whatever i mean they're making their bag for like the kelsey bros are making it from uncrustables you know what i'm saying like it's not like and it, it's but a, did you hear about the actual story behind that uh-uh they the chiefs ate that i think don't quote me on the exact number but it, oh, it is the ravens i saw this was oh it was the Ravens yeah. the Ravens ate seventy five thousand uncrustables. That's hilarious that the a bunch Chiefs, of grown yeah. men are just like that's crazy. hammering uncrustables. <laughs> it's me. I'm the grown man. <laughs> um, but no, so I mean, I think like exclusive. Like, why is every video podcast a YouTube thing? Right? Is that because there's this critical mass of viewership on YouTube, and that's the easiest place to grow an audience? Doesn't matter if you're Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey. Like, you already have a massive audience. If you lose half of it, but Peacock throws you a stupid bag to come over to the platform or... You or know, you can post clips on YouTube, but the full episode is on Peacock. Right. Exactly. And is like, I mean, that's what Rogan did with yeah, Spotify, exactly. right? And so mm -hmm. why would these streaming platforms, which have such an incentive towards live sports, not try and get podcasts and personalities? Because people are following personalities more than 100%. ever in today's day and age. Uh, no, that's I think, a, I think that's that a crazy idea. Yeah, yeah, I think it would crush if Peacock had their own, whatever it's a podcasting network or creator network or just like owning that demographic of all the top sports people are going to be part of yeah. our ecosystem. Yeah, and then they're going to then funnel people down into into Peacock. No, I think that could be phenomenal. The other thing I think Peacock has to have is you have to have a very strong cancellation flow. Yeah, <laughs> like people are going to cancel. <laughs> 
and you have to be ready for that moment. How do you pick up every single one of them? (laughs) Exactly. Like Netflix has a terrible one. Like you're not, when somebody cancels Netflix, they don't really like tackle objections. When somebody's canceling, your job is to tackle every objection and kind of be always one step ahead of the customer. Yeah. Someone that does a great job of this is Athletic Greens. So Athletic Greens, when you go to cancel it, it's like, it asks you a few questions. Is it too expensive? Did it not taste good? Dependent on your answer, they put you down another funnel. Yeah. And so like if when you say it doesn't taste good, they're going to be like, oh, okay, totally understand. Have you tried these recipes? Like try it with this smoothie, this like cocktail, whatever it is. Try it like this. Oh, it's too expensive. Here's 20% off for the next three months. And essentially what they're trying to do is just help give you like that little extra incentive to build this into your habits. To bleed you dry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so Peacock could have a very strong cancellation flow when it's like, you guys don't have what I want, right? right. Or like somebody cancels and, and their reasoning is, I don't have too many options around sports or whatever. You now have that as an objection of like, whoa, 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 whoa. check out the sports selection before you cancel. Yeah. It's too expensive. Here are the next three months off for free or for $2.99. Or just, or just like agitating that, you know, or that FOMO. Just being like, are you sure you don't want to ever watch the New Heights podcast in, in yeah. its totality again? Like, yeah. are you sure that you don't want to, you know, watch Oppenheimer for free? Well, and I think, you know, the making it harder to cancel on people is something that can backfire as well. I think, you know, what comes to mind is unsubscribe flows from newsletters. Like I really hate when people make me like click unsubscribe and then I go to a landing page and like the button is like, do you really want to subscribe yeah. or do you really want to unsubscribe? Do you, dis- yes, do you really like to- want to destroy my day? Right. It's, it, like, it's like, it's like a, a hollow, you know, outline button, which says, you know, confirm my unsubscription. Yeah. And then the red button, which, you know, is UX 101 is where I want to go with my eyes says, yes, I'd like to stay subscribed. For or sure. Something. That shit's whack. I, it's super whack. Yeah. It's super and whack. I think that that to me, when I see that in a newsletter, I'm like, yo, I'm going to burn this person to the ground. Like I'm yeah. actually, you just turn me into an enemy. Like yeah. I want to destroy you. And for those really enterprise companies like a peacock, right? Dude, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people canceling and that is one place where they could get crushed on social 100%. is becoming a meme for how shitty it is to cancel yeah. from their stuff. And I'm not saying to for- force it down their throat or like try to be very like uh, tricky with how they cancel. Right. I'm just saying be ready to tackle objections. Yeah. Ca- capturing as many lost customers as possible is different than like forcing someone yeah. to stay. Because a lot of times people are just going to be like, I got to slice subscriptions. Yeah. Fuck it, cancel Peacock. And then it's yeah. like, you don't really even know everything that's on there. You don't know that fucking Harry Potter's on there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would you cancel? $5.99? I could go on Amazon. That That's eight DVD sets, like $90. Bro. How many times have you been to Harry Potter World? Dude, so I didn't I didn't watch Harry Potter until I was 23, 24. So that's I, as a kid, crazy. I didn't care about it. That's why I like the obsession. But like, you have a daughter for these reasons. Like, you are, you now have a pass to like go to theme parks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I'm... There's no point in going right now. <laughs> Seven <laughs> sure. months. Yeah. She's slumped over there right now. Though. Yeah, she's doing still, great. Like, she's not going to care. Doing fantastic. Um, um, let's talk about uh, how we'd grow a little vintage business. Yeah, so keep it classic vintage. One, I've bought so many stuff from them, or so much vintage stuff from uh-huh. them. They, they have uh, an array of stuff. And then in some of the top, Jord- like for me personally, because I love... Uh, like vintage Jordan gear. Oh yeah, dude. They found or his name's Riley. Riley found some like the hottest shit from from Jordan. I'm talking about like yeah. these 90s, like 90s 80s vintage shirts. Before, where, before we lost our way. Yeah, dude. Like that are just like 
they feel like they should be a Nike ad. Yeah. And they probably were a Nike ad at some point. Yeah. But they're on a t-shirt. They're so good. So um, yeah. So the idea here is, and again, this is our free game section before we get into it. This is our paywall. If you want, if you want to be within our free game section where you give us your brand and we tell you how to grow it, just send uh an email to podcast at markingexamine.com. Dude, and we'll feature you in here. We'll figure out how to to grow your company. We'll give you all the essentially all the playbooks and and yeah. ideas yeah. to and it's how we again it's how we got Karnish connected Shabu. with Carnage Shabu. Yeah. Like, and also, you know, screenshot a review, uh DM us on Instagram, Twitter, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, any of that stuff will will qualify because but we're trying to feature as many of the listeners as possible. And honestly, Alex and I have done this for a long time. And you know, I think our our advice can be super helpful. So, you know, we really want to help you all out. But um, first things first, you got to leave that review. For sure. So I want to start here with, again, our friends Keep It Classic Vintage, most likely doing six figures uh, in revenue. I don't know where that skews, but I'm guessing six figures in revenue. How do we get some to seven figures? So first thing I, I know is like, they don't have a huge budget, right? Yeah. So dude, you got to go all in on organic content. You yeah. got to be a fucking content creator, then yeah. a vintage curator yeah. first. Like that yeah. is your breakdown of who you are. So top of funnel, I'm thinking, or this is like kind of the content funnel I developed for him. So the first thing for top of funnel content, dude, take NFL players, take people in fashion, take people that are wearing vintage clothes, rate the fit, break them down, talk about what they're wearing. Like, yeah, like talking head style. Yeah. yeah. Like, yo, this is like, this is Odell's fit. This, that shirt that he's wearing, that's a vintage shirt from, Metallica from 1933, yeah. 1993, right? Like rate the fit, talk about the well, fit. Be, be super topical, exactly, right? Exactly, like very topical. All of these athletes have, you know, they're always trying to flex during the tunnel walk. And what is That's popping right now in, in social media is like content formats that are both repeatable and topical, yes. right? Because then people are going to get addicted to being like, oh, this dude's like talking about the fits in the tunnel. Like I want to see oh, I saw Devin Booker wore this crazy yeah. vintage piece. Like, I can't wait to see what Riley has to say about it. 100%. For middle of funnel, now you kind of want to get into the stories behind the different pieces that that you're bringing into the, you know, into your store, whether you're selling them online. Because for example, he has a mass collection of uh, vintage Texas Longhorns gear mm -hmm. and vintage Cowboys gear. Right, dude. Tell me the story about. Is this the '80s jacket from when they won the Super Bowl? When'd you? Where'd you get? This? Yeah, like give give me the background. Make me fall in love with this piece where I know this. I know the story behind it. So therefore, yeah. I now see it more than just a vintage piece. I see it as a collectible. Like this is something I'm gonna rock once a year. Like if the Cowboys make it to the playoffs and they don't choke again against the Green Bay Packers, I'm rocking it when they finally make it to the second round. Also, like, you're just more memorable, you yeah, know? Way more I, memorable. If you're able to articulate the value of that piece, like, first of all, you're justifying the value of it because now you're not just selling a raggedy old t-shirt. You're selling this shirt that Earl Campbell's nephew gave you because, you know, he he, he didn't have any more room in his garage and wow. it was it was either that or, like, he was going to throw it away. And you, yeah. you were like, oh, my God, you're Earl Campbell. Like, you want to... Uh, there there has to be some sort of story to something yeah. or else it just doesn't have the soul that it could. And especially with vintage, right? That's yeah. the whole point is it used to have a past life. So I, I think I've talked about this study before on the podcast, but there's a reason why uh, when people go uh, like to garage sales and they buy things at garage sales, 
that they feel more attached to the piece that they buy mm. because when you buy it from somebody and that person goes oh that, like that's a hand-me-down from my uncle yeah who then it was handed down from his uncle and it's like right you now know the story you're going to take care of it more and put it like treat it more special because of there's a story behind it um and riley needs to tap into that and then the other thing is like when you were on the site the first thing that you said he was like damn there's a lot of harley davidson stuff on there yeah right well I want to know why Harley Davidson has kind of had this resurgence of why are they hot? Like, yeah. how did they become hot? Why do, why is their merch, how does that become a vintage staple now? Yeah. Right. So again, there's the story behind it. Then for bottom of funnel, this is where people got to connect with you. They got to love Riley. So give me day in the life content because that's just actually interesting for something like that. Right. Go and vintage shop. Yo, I heard about this crazy piece. It, it was up in Round exactly. Rock. So I had to go check it out. Like quick little like vlog of you driving in your car, like getting out of your, like, I'm thinking like here. I'm hosting my first pop up, or I'm hosting this Cowboys pop up. Go vintage shopping with me. Here's what I look for when I go shopping. Yeah. Here's some of the favorite stores, or like shit like, hey, I'm going to this vintage store with a hundred dollars. Here's what you could get for a hundred dollars at this vintage shop, and like take people on these experiences where all right, you got. Can you make a sick fit? Like, can you make a great outfit with a hundred dollars? Stuff like that. People would like eat that content. Hundred percent. The other thing I'm thinking about is. Austin's known for having people that are just big into vintage clothing, right? Like there's yeah. a lot of spots. There's a, a lot of people who also are just influential like Riley in this space. If I'm Riley, I'm giving a lot of these influencers and I'm, and I'm going to get like a handful of them, five to 10. I'm giving those influencers a $200 tab and they're able to come to my warehouse uh, anytime, essentially get $200 worth of clothing for free mm -hmm. in exchange for content. <laughs> And yeah. do it all within like one time period. So it feels like you kind of just took over Austin. Right. But that is an easy way to like $200 and you'll probably reach, you know, a few hundred thousand people in comparison to what that would cost on Facebook uh, or on Meta, like uh, against their CPM. That would be fucking awesome. And then on top of that, those same influencers then do something with them, right? Where take those influencers shopping. If you found like somebody that's just like, yeah. they're big in fashion, they're big into vintage clothing, and that's what their audience is around. Go vintage shopping. Bring them by the warehouse. Right? Yeah, like take yeah. them somewhere. Make it the, again, like you were saying, it's hot right now to do something that's repeatable and scalable in short form. This is repeatable and scalable. This is a show. This is almost yeah. like complex sneakers, vintage, you know, yeah. the vintage side shot yeah. on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing I'm thinking about is, okay, so you're, you're gaining all this awareness. You're building up this audience. You should be doing giveaways. And those giveaways should only be uh, via email. Yep. And then as you build that email list, that is essentially your like exclusive audience. That's that people that really want shit from you. Do specific drops only for email. Always, yeah. You know, like, yes, you have everything that you drop on the site that they could come into the retail store for, but have things that only your email list can get a hold of. Yeah. And yeah, like, I, I mean, I think really doing those four things, if you could build up that audience, if you could gain the credibility from influencers and kind of create that show and create the the people that love him and then he could funnel these people down to an email list and then just repeat this process over and over again like the the dude has a seven-figure business on his on his hands yeah um dude i mean i think he's got a really it, it's it's gonna happen quick uh some different and all of that's like stuff he needs to do and it's what's nice about that is you know it's a advice that's in his control yeah. right like creating this content that's a choice like you you can take the time to like, it's really about just documenting what you're already doing. Yeah. Like a lot of founders do this well. And then a lot of founders 
don't even think about it as like something viable. But the beauty of starting a company, especially in America, is like people want to root for the entrepreneur yeah. and they want to see the story of like how your company comes to be and they become very attached to that story. So showing the growth of this thing, like if if you got a new storage unit because you were selling out of your, you know, current inventory, like yo, we were going crazy. So we had to get a bigger storage unit. Like that's that's an entire content piece. Like you you then follow that up in your next content piece. That's one of the best things I think, the, or one of the best pieces of advice that I think Gary Vee has ever put out there is, and I know we like kind of give shit to Gary Vee yeah. uh, in today's age, but his best advice was document, don't create. Yeah. Don't put all this resources into creating like the fanciest shit possible and the best yeah. piece of content. Just document document what you're doing and use your iPhone to tell that story and to document it and to put it out there and people will fall in love with it. Like the best content right now is taking your audience on a journey so that they can mm -hmm. buy into you and yeah. want to support you and to help you. They essentially build the stairs for you to reach the top. Yeah, but the other thing there is like you have to be comfortable with your content absolutely flopping on its fucking face. Yeah. Like I, I think that's to be realistic with people though too because I think that's a lot of people's fear is like, I'm going to put this out there and all the people that I know are going to look at it and then it's not going to do any numbers. And, you know, now I'm going to look stupid and everyone's going to think my business is pretty bunk. Like, yeah, yeah probably. Like, it's going to happen. But your first video, first hundred videos are going to suck. Yeah. And, and, and you just simply have to be comfortable with that in order to be successful. There's no way around it. And people like have to accept that. But some right? people are just going to have the it factor. You know what I mean? And yeah. And those people, they'll be able to speed, you know, do that a little faster. But if you're scared of your first hundred video second, here's like the little advice to get for essentially for you to only have your first 50 videos suck. Yeah. The first thing, find a bunch of creators that you love. I thought you were about to be like, take cut 30. No, no, no. I wasn't going to play. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm just kidding. Take I will. Cut I will. 30. It'll change your life. I will at some point. Um, but a very tactical advice that you can follow so that your first video, 50 video suck versus 100 is find your favorite creators. Find the people that you endlessly consume their content yeah. and you love to consume their content and transcribe their videos. Right. And write their scripts out or write what they're saying out. And you'll, you'll start to get a sense of what they're saying, why they're saying it, how it flows into a story, how they're creating these story arcs, how they take you on a high, then a low, how they hook you at the beginning, like all that shit. You just have to copy what they're doing and you'll start seeing why it works. And then the second part is you do the same thing for frames. Like how, how is this person using the visuals to keep you engaged into it as well or right. engaged in the video as well? And so you could kind of see frame by frame, like, okay, this person put 20 different clips into their video. They put 15 different clips in the video, yeah. but in the first five seconds they use, they're XYZ, changing frames right? every 0.4 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. So now you yeah. get to understand like how they're using the visual aspect of it, not only the script to keep somebody engaged. So just two two easy things that if you if you do want to be better, and then the the last one and the most important and the one I couldn't stress anymore that you should sign up for Cut Thirty, which is our straight <laughs> up kidding, our short form course. Me, Colin, and and Oren, uh, we have the uh, short form course where we teach you how to build the skill. So the honestly, your first hundred videos don't start, suck. Your first fifty do. I mean, you're out here but, changing lives, so I don't think it's even a shameless plug. If I'm uh, if I'm keep it classic, if I'm Riley. Uh, and I'm I'm taking this much more from like an e-commerce like tactical yeah. approach. I think a few things are going on right now on his site that I see right off the bat. We'll put this on the on the visual. But like, so when you when you go to his homepage and then immediately right off the bat, like I said, there's a lot of Harley Davidson. There's a lot of motorcycle stuff. Um, 
the problem I see right off the bat is he, he's, he lists shop all and we're in January and his shop all is all t-shirts. That's the only thing he's showing me on his homepage. So my first interaction with him, I'm seeing a bunch of t-shirts, which don't get me wrong. We're in Austin, Texas and it might as well be fucking summer here year round. Year round. Yeah. But in vintage jackets are a huge component of like, I want to find some retro sweet UT jacket like, why is that not front and center? I know he's got that pop-up tomorrow. He posted all the pieces on Instagram that are going Some to be go at that crazy. Point. They go crazy. Yeah. But like, it's January, bro. Like, you can't have t-shirts on the front of your website. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with a lot of companies. Like, they'll show an out-of-stock product and then be like, oh, yeah, we're building demand for it. It's like, you're losing dollars, bro. Like, because people want to convert. So, you know, I think right off the bat, like, thinking about how he merchandises his apparel on his site from a digital perspective is super important. The other thing I think he's doing is that I personally don't love, um, and Riley, please don't take this personally, but so his he's taking his photos of the t-shirts on a kind of like a branded, you know, scrappy background with like gray and stuff like that. And nothing in this world will ever outperform product on white background. Yeah. Um, so I just think that alone as well will definitely provide some lift. Uh, he goes right into essentials, um, which I don't know what essentials means. I, I get the branding aspect of it, but I think you want to be, when you're an apparel company, you want to be super, super clear about organizing by bottoms, by tops, by outerwear, like by the different product type that it is. Um, so, you know, think about how you're organizing this stuff. Uh, he also you know, when you're, when you're thinking about, you made a great point, like go copy existing players, like go, go find, you know, what's working for some brands that you admire. So if I'm Riley, I'm going to go to the Facebook ads library and I'm going to type in the name of the brand that I most admire. Uh, My buddy Scott is crushing it. He runs this thing called snag collective and dude rips on meta, right? So Riley, there you go. Go steal all of Scott's ads on meta (laughs) because he's doing fantastic. He's where you want to be. And that's for any young brand owner is if you're a couple of steps behind somebody and you really admire how that grant, how that brand has built itself, go look at what they're doing on meta. Their funnel, dude. Yeah. Just go. I mean, dude, there's no shame in copying what works and then twisting it 3% to adjust to your brand. That is how so many businesses have been built. So that's probably, you know, the second thing tactically, if you are going to experiment with paid, then at least go copy what's already working. The last thing, and this is probably the most experimental and the diciest, but like you just mentioned a lot of content to build brand affinity and a following and kind of drive in top of funnel traffic to his site. Um, What are some direct response pieces of creative that he can make on TikTok? Direct response, meaning, you know, it's engineered for someone to buy the product immediately after they see the piece of content. Uh, Styling the new UT 1983 jacket with me and enabling it on TikTok shop. Make sure that you're hooked up to that platform. Make sure it's right there so that someone can buy the jacket on the spot. If you go viral, you're still out of that thing in 10 minutes. Um, Doing that type of content, it's get ready with me, styling the new, check out this hot find. You won't find this anywhere else. Like experiment with different hooks. And, you know, Riley will send you like 10 to 15 hooks after this just because you're the homie and because you left a review. But, um, you know, use these hooks that are proven to work on the platform. Like how many, you know, menswear brands are there out there 
go find some viral menswear videos, go find some viral vintage videos, just copy the hook for one for one, and then put your product on there with shop enabled and it's going to move. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, that's a wrap on on today's episode. We're already at like 50 something minutes. Really? Yeah, shit goes by fast. So, uh, but lastly, I do want to give a shout out to Steph Fowler. She's one of our most dedicated listeners. Yeah. She's one an absolute badass. She she messaged me something about like she's built up a retail front uh, store. She's absolutely crushing it. She lifts a bunch. Like she's she's yeah. awesome. But she's always commenting on our on our content, which is awesome because as a new podcast, it just feels good to get that validation. Yeah. Um. And we do have some merch that we're going to be sending her as even though we don't have merch yet. It yeah. Is, yeah. There's some of some of it is getting designed. Some of the merch is going your way. Steph. Work with we'll send um, you merch. But yeah, we we really appreciate you having it. We text about it in our kind of group chat all the time that how much we appreciate it so uh appreciate that stuff and then the other part uh you can find me on twitter on instagram alex garcia underscore atx most importantly sign up for uh at com. and then i'm also writing a crazy startup guide like i started it uh last week to 20 pages in you talking about reverse engineering the funnel i like i did some fucking research Sorry, I'm going to stop cussing on here for my dad. We have had a potty mouth today. We've been bad. About what? I just think we're probably double-digit F-bombs. No, I think I only dropped two. I dropped like seven. Yeah, I did it. I, I did I, two. I, and so, dude, I, I went down this rabbit hole. I found the best way to like do competitor inter, competitor analysis and like mm. reverse engineer a funnel. Stay tuned. We're like, uh, yeah, I got <laughs> easily. It's 15 pages of it. Yeah. And there are visuals in there, but it is 15 pages where I was thinking it would be like a page and a half. Anyways, I'm building up this this startup guide. And if you do want that, you're trying to build a startup, I'm going to send it to all of our uh, readers over the next few months. Um, but Brian, plug plug yourself. Yeah, uh, just follow me on Instagram at Brian underscore Bloom, B-L-U-M. And then uh, same thing on Twitter, but throw a one at the end of it. And um, recently went on, on my own here, uh, doing my own full-time stuff, uh, growth marketing for a bunch of different consumer brands. So um, yeah, you'll be seeing a lot of content about how to do that and uh cool interesting stuff that we see so dope like subscribe and uh appreciate you yeah later